the difference between pleasure and happiness. The things that bring us pleasure tend to leave us unhappy. And the things that make us happy are not pleasurable. All right, everyone, welcome back or welcome to the Live on Bone podcast. This is a space where we explore the stories, secrets and skills of the world's top performers coming from diverse industries, including business, sports, entertainment, the military, arts, adventure and much more. I'm Steve McDonald, your host and high performance consultant. Today, we're going to explore the neuroscience of performance and potential with none other than Chris Johnson. Chris has worked with elite teams like the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Golden State Warriors. And interestingly, Chris was part of the very first Golden State Warriors championship winning team that Steve Kerr managed and what learnings he took from that experience. And we do explore that in the conversations we have. We also explore Chris's journey and what, what makes Chris tick and Chris's impact that he has had, which leads us to talk about and have conversation on what brain scans reveal about elite operators how we can make decisions in fractions of a second more effectively, how selfishness, distrust and deceit are our human nature and DNA, dealing with anxiety and discontentment, and our values, being more self-aware, looking at our growth and learning, and how we deal with challenges and overcome challenges, and, and ultimately connecting back to our why, and why we do what we do, that innate motivation that, that will unearth an extreme and an unlimited amount of potential. So look, great conversation, Chris, and I hope you enjoy. Chris Johnson, an absolute pleasure to be speaking with you. I know it's for the second time, um, but it was a long time ago when we did speak initially. So uh, I've, I've some I've some memories of our conversation, Chris, that have definitely that have stood for sure with me and that have resonated strongly. That I've continued to um, carry in my narrative, and I'll, I'll bring those in to the conversation later in the conversation. But for now, I'm just curious, and I want to anchor ourselves in who is Chris Johnson and. Who is Chris Johnson as a person, as a human? And uh, that's where I want to start, I suppose. But even to expand on that, on, on that question, Chris, is there anything like who we are right now is heavily um, connected to our DNA, but also, you know, our earlier years in life? So can you tell us more about your kind of upbringing in your earlier years and one or two things that just, you know, have guided you down the path of cognitive neuroscience and, and peak performance? Yeah. So I grew up and my dad was a pig farmer. Um, and I, I joke and I always knew that, you know, I, I didn't want to be that for the rest of my life. I didn't expect for my dad and I don't, I don't think I could do the things that he did, but I knew I wanted something different. I used to, as a kid, I see the map in your background. I used to sit at the, at the bar and read yeah. the world and I would, mm-hmm. there were so many things that I wanted to do and, uh, eventually, I went into uh, the military, and uh, when I was 17, my dad said, well, you weren't very subtle about not wanting to take over the pig farm, uh, <laughs> but the military. And and I think my, my parents knew uh, that I wanted to go new things. And so, when the military, I was in a Coast Guard for a little over a decade, and it was the 90s. Um, so it was mostly the drug war, and so I had operations in South America, Central America, did some work in Alaska. Um, 
I don't know why I wanted to go back to school when I thought about either med school for neurology or neuroscience. And mm-hmm. ultimately, I changed, chose the PhD route. Um, and just innate curiosity. Um, I've, I've always been interested in a lot of things, um, in particular, what makes people tick, mm-hmm. and what allows or what, what are the differences in human capabilities. Um, and then also the common denominator, what makes us very much the same. And so I went to grad school at UCLA, got my PhD, and then I did three years at Yale. I'd say my time at Yale really was, uh, that was a, a, a touch point because I was fortunate to work with a group of psychiatrists and neurologists who were interested in what right looks like in terms of human neuroscience instead of the medical model. They turned it on its head. They said, what about people who should develop pathology? What about people who should be doing poorly or should be struggling, but they're not, they're thriving? What makes them different? And and they want the brain's the central organ of performance, the organ of adaptation however brain's different. And so I, I got to work with them for two years and then that led to a career in special operations, working with them, researching, um, mostly applied, um, studying how they operate, how they think, how they make decisions. That's a pretty interesting career, Chris. And I think, um, there's a lot, a lot you shared there, right? But curious, right? So not stepping into your Father's shoes is in the pig farm. I did, that must have been challenging for you or a difficult decision or something that, you know, you have to overcome. It was, uh, it was, it was one of those, I mean, I think everybody goes through some degree of, of teenage awkwardness, but I, it was, uh, that, that feeling, the small town feeling of, uh, I, I don't fit in here. There's, there's more I want to do. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and then once you launch on that path, you quickly realize, hey, you know what, you can't do it all. Um, and so life is a series of trade-offs and for everything that you choose to do, there are a host of things that you're choosing not to do. Uh, grad school will teach that to you real quick. You can't study at all. Um, yeah. The temptation to be a, a lifelong uh, student, a professional student is, is, is big, but then you, you realize too, okay, do you want to study this one thing and become an expert in this one thing for the rest of your life? Some people do, and and those are uh, those are the people who I got to work with in academia. I went the more applied route, uh, yeah. It, and so linking the two, you know, linking basic research with um, the operational world, and it's it's what I've gotten to do, linking part of the neuroscience with performance in the military world and also in, in the athletic world. So, so Chris, tell us about, um, yeah, tell us about kind of the Navy SEALs, right? And the operate in, in that world, the military world and neuroscience and, and the work you did, right? So, so what was, tell us more about your work you did in, in that space and what were the outcomes, outputs, bindings, challenges and everything in between. The great thing about working with uh, the, the teams that I work with 
they've already gone through an assessment and selection process. So you're you're working with people who have been evaluated and vetted for a specific mission set. Um, in general, you're looking for people who who you could put anywhere around the world. You could say, here's the here's the objective. We don't have a playbook for this, but we're, we know that that we've selected you because you can figure this out. Mm. And so, like I said, there are trade-offs for that. Um, these are, for the most part, these are guys that don't follow rule books. Um, standard operating procedures are not what they um, rely on all the time. So flexible thinking, adaptive, creative, and uh, courageous. And so, oh, what I did was work with that group, and it was something very specific. We had a very focused problem, and that was we train these guys in close quarters combat. We don't know how good the training is. The military tradition is, well, we know the training is good because we trained them. And I, I think that that's true when, when outside pressure comes from auditors or legislators that says we're spending a lot of money on this how do we know it's working how do we know that your operators are better at cqc yeah it's very dangerous training training with with loaded weapons live ammo um there are casualties occasionally um high stress training obviously not to the magnitude of real life operations but um pretty stressful training. So they wanted to know how can we evaluate whether or not our training's in any good. And I said, okay, we can we can definitely work with that. As an additional interest, I'd like to learn more about brain function of the guys who are doing this. Is there a way to identify the brains of individuals that work differently than everybody else. Can we find people with unique sensory motor skills? Is there a way to identify something? Because even among that select group, there were guys that were very good at combat marksmanship, tactical marksmanship, and there were guys who, who were less, less capable. So anytime you look at a, you know, some, research results and you see means plotted and compared and you see error bars the error mm -hmm. bar really where the good stuff is because that means they're variants yeah so what's going into that so we over about 10 years we we did a combination of applied research in basic science fmri scanning the brains of these guys doing different tasks and then um, looking at them in the shoe house and then providing insights to the operational community for whether or not the train was effective and what are we worrying about guys who are different. We compared we compared um, groups of special operators with healthy control instead of most of said, okay, how are they different from you know, everyday mortals? Um, and then Let's compare them maybe to some athletes. We did some work with elite adventure racers. And All right. 
yeah. about reading group because it's a team sport. So yeah, those are all the things that we were looking at with the sole purpose of informing the operational community. How do we select guys? How do we train them? And how can we do it better? That's pretty powerful, um, Chris. So can you help me understand what what was separating? So what was different about the guys that were different? You know, what was, um, yeah, what was it? What age did they have? What was going on? Yeah, so I think a way to describe these differences, one, we'll talk about brain and we'll talk about behavior. So the, the brain part, what we found was a region of the brain called the insulin cortex tended to be different in these special operators as well um, in, in elite adventure racers. And the insula is responsible for a lot of different functions, but think of the insula cortex as regulating the brain's awareness of what's going on in the body. And that includes things like temperature, touch, recognition of emotion, sense of time, all of those things are registered and the brain has an awareness of what's going on in the body. So a very, a very simple example of insula cortex function will be an elite runner. And if you ask them, what's your heart rate right now? A lot of people will go to take the pulse. Yeah. These elite runners don't need to do that. They can feel it. Mm. They have a, a a different awareness of what's going on in their body. And yeah. so if you think about it in the performance world, maybe uh, one example would be a surfer who's making adjustments as they ride the wave on the board. Their feet are, are moving just a little bit. And that's because their brain is aware of their balance. Yeah, and it's subconscious, Chris, right? It's like no thought required. It's like this is an awareness, subconscious doing. Is it like, is this, is it related to being in a flow state? So, so I I say it's it is related because you're you're largely. I think most people would use the term subconscious. Um, I would use the term preconscious because there there is a registered neural communication going on, but you might not be aware of it. And so your your sense of, of time. So time estimation is a great way to to measure interoceptive function. How how some people have a very good internal clock and some people don't. Um, you know, whether it's somebody in, in basketball or it's, you know, you've got three seconds left on the clock. They have a they have a great internal clock or a shortstop fielding a ball can recognize the runner. How much time does he have to make that throw? Do I need to hurry this up? Or mm. can I my time? There are people that have an innate sense and that's an interoceptive sense. And that's all run by the insulin. And we found in our elite operators that they had when their when their sense of homeostasis got disrupted. They had a less activation in the insulin. So not more, they had less activation, which 
there's a lot of different ways to interpret that. But going back to the surfer analogy, we think that they they react, they they have less overreaction, mm. and they make better course corrections. Yeah, and the maintain stability. Well, yes, yeah. Guys, a new driver, a new, somebody who's new to surfing, they're late to recognize when they're off balance, and then they overcorrect for being off balance. Somebody with an elite interoceptive sense knows air states very quickly, recognizes those, and makes more accurate adjustments. So, so Chris, would this be um, like would this be something that these people would have, no matter what they're doing? You know. Great question. I can tell you where I come down on that. And I I can also say that there's somebody out there in the coaching world who says, no, you can you can really coach this. Yeah. I I am an 8020. Um I'm at 8020 on this. I think a lot of this is innate. I don't like the term hardwired because our brain is a Inventive. Hard, um, and there there might be connections, but those things change. Yeah, I, I also think um, genes, genes, you know, genotype really dictates phenotype, and so your expressed behaviors and capabilities are. Um, not everybody's the same, and I don't know that you can make everybody the same. So. You know, uh, one of the axioms we would use is, hey, you can't make a, a thoroughbred out of a donkey. Mm. Um, <laughs> Sometimes the donkey is preferred because a donkey, you know, isn't going to get as excited or uh, emotional um, or, you know, stressed out, but it can't do the things that thoroughbreds can do. Yeah. So you, you're coaching within those constraints. Mm. So, yeah, so... Uh, that's a very interesting perspective. I'm just trying to relay it back to my own context, and I'm, I'm trying to see where am I? Am I? Do I have it? Do I not have it? Do I? Who does and who doesn't? And having said that, so and, and you know, just making a, a a reference to the idea of limitless, uh, living limitless or, or boundless. I and I, I know you're, you're not. You're not offering that as a as a context for everything people do. I've taken a different tack, and that is there's power in recognizing how much limitation you do have. Um, there's a uh, an eye of a needle to thread there, and that is you know you don't want to defeat yourself and talk yourself out of being able to do something, but more, I'm talking about more in the realm of being relentlessly examining who you are, what you're about, what you've done, what you're capable of. And then we, that's when we make this transition from brain to behavior. And that is, why are you here? What's your purpose and what, what is your, your awareness of your meaning? What, why are you doing what you're doing and what does it mean? And mm. when you ask what makes some of these people different, in addition to looking at brand function, we would 
assess different aspects of who they were. I've, I've worked with some brilliant people and it was always interesting me to me the the divide between a very secular, a very scientific secular mindset and one that was more um, faith-based mm-hmm. is anathema to most of academia. But we kept coming back to, you know, what we're finding is these people who are ordinary but do extraordinary things, we found a, a commonality of they are living for something bigger than themselves. They're able to find meaning and purpose in suffering. And they yeah. they believe that there's a, a reason or there's a purpose for their life. And the people who had well-developed sense of self and why, why they're here and a, a ability to articulate meaning for their suffering, they were able to work and, and work through setbacks, difficulty. Mm. Yeah, because look, that makes sense, Crystal, doesn't it? What did you mean? That makes sense. It, it, uh, suffering and failure are real. And the people who are able to find purpose in that time and again are the ones who are able to thrive. You know, um, Victor Frankl's meaning, my advisor at Yale, Steve Southwick, who's recently passed away, he was. He was the president of the Logotherapy Society. And Logo, Logos meaning word, um, that was really the group that um, developed from Frankel's approach, which was how do we develop meaning? And then Frankel said, men can almost, he can, he can endure just about anything as long as he understands why. And yeah. so, knowing why you're here and part of that, what, what your limitations are. And and so realizing that those things are real, um, and working with that is really the, I think the separator quality. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I I resonate for sure, man. You're like curious, Chris, right? So while you're here and your limitations as well, right? So there are two massive them. Um, yeah. You know, how many people are or have that purpose, have that anchor of this is why I'm here, this is what I'm here to do, and these are my limitations. So that's a very um I think that's you know, you're talking what percentage people have that awareness and what percentage people have that character. So if I flip it to you, Chris right so what's your um what's your meaning? Yeah, so um, I'm 53, you know, and I've, I've lived through a few things. Um, you know, I've married three kids, cancer survivor, um, I've gone through unemployment in a, in a big scheme of things. There are certainly people who have gone through a lot worse, but I, I've, I've, I've lived and I've seen some things. What I'm telling you now is not where I was when I was 25. I think I would have tended more toward the limitless life is really how much how much can i extract from it 
um, how much you and experience now I'd say number one is a realization that my life is not my own. I'm not here for me. And two is I can't do anything of myself. That is really, um, the foundation for how I deal with everything else from suffering to success. Um, and so my perspective and my faith foundation is that I'm not my own. I was created with a specific purpose in mind. And that is to, that is to be a testimony and to be used by the author of new, the person who created all. And I'm as much a scientist as the next person. And the more I learn about the human brain, the mind, the limitations of science, those are the things that I lean on because they reinforce what I believe. And I try when I work with others to get them to be curious about who they are, why they're here and what their purpose is. The, the science aspect of it is to further knowledge and understanding. The real driver of this for people's performance is knowing who they are and why they're here. And so that's how I blend the two. Um, why I'm here, I'm, I'm here because I'm not my own and I was designed and created with a specific purpose. And in general, that purpose is um, to, to glorify and be a, an example uh, for others of, of the fact that there is a creator and he has a specific purpose for every one of us. Thanks for that, Chris. That's really powerful, to be fair. And what a journey you've had. Um, and how do you help people? So, Chris, how do you, how do you, how do you, so I suppose first, the actual question I have is, um, helping people understand who they are, why they're here and what the purpose is. Is that in service to whether it's an athlete, whether it's a special operator, their mission, or, or is it beyond that? And that's a byproduct. I mean, that's a byproduct of sure, but something bigger. Yeah. I, I think you have to, to meet people where they are, at least initially. And if they're, if their biggest dilemma is how do I perform better? How do I do my job better? You, you start there. Um, in the process of that, you can start peeling back layers and say, okay, what frustrates you? When you look at your performance, what do you see? Um, and then inevitably life outside of performance starts to reveal itself, all the things that are going on. I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to work very hard to talk to somebody and say, you know, when you look around the world, when you look at your industry or your sport or your business, what do you see? And inevitably it comes back to competition, selfishness, deceit, and then people triumphing in the face of those things. So why why are people wanting they are to mm. um and how has that impacted you? And everybody's got a story. Man, ever everybody's uh, a story. And we'll usually carry it with them. Um, and then when you start to 
peel that back, I'll give you a good example of how, what that looks like practically. So I was working with a coach, a baseball coach, and he was talking about a player that he was having trouble connecting with and motivating and, and really just reaching somebody who had talent, but was not meeting expectations and, and underperforming. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I shared with him, I said, well, you know, what, why is he, why is he playing baseball? And so the coach went back to the player and asked him this question. And then the coach came back and he said, well, he won't tell me. I said, what's that about? He said, the player told him that he's embarrassed. He doesn't want to say. He's embarrassed to share why he plays the game. So I said, you need to find a way to get that out and and find out what that's about. So some time went by and the coach came back to me and said, this player, this young kid, he, he revealed to me that he's, He's playing for money. And he's a little bit ashamed of that because that's really the only reason he's playing. He's not necessarily in love with baseball. He's playing for the money. And I said, find out what the money means to him. Yep. And then the coach came back and he, he, I could see it on his face. He, some things were making sense and said, he's got a family back home in the Dominican that are living, you know, in poverty. Wow. Both with dirt floors and no electricity. And he's playing for money because the money represents a way for him to support his family back home. And I said, that's what you need to connect for him. And that is every day that he steps his foot across the chalk line, it's not playing baseball. He is providing for his family back home. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, I don't have any anecdote about, you know, just extraordinary performance beyond that, but it is, it's a practical example of connecting people with their purpose. And when it's about something bigger than themselves, yeah, you're more likely to get um, extraordinary results. What about if, if that's hard to find, just that? something bigger than themselves it's like you know where it's it's a real struggle for somebody to see beyond like to show like because I, I suppose i give you for me i suppose i played with um you know elite level athletes in Ireland with the hurling so h-u-r-l-i-n-g right so it's irish yeah. you know, irish indigenous sport right so it's yeah. have you heard of it chris oh sure sweet so you have an idea but it was it's it's not paid, right? So it's not paid and it's a huge sacrifice for you to play and, you know, you have to work as well. Yeah, I, I was a professional engineer, obviously I have my own business that I set up seven years ago now, but, and then you have girlfriends and now family, you know, two young kids. So I, I at points in time, I, I kind of, that why, why am I playing? Mm-hmm. I didn't have an answer for it. Most of us don't. I mean, most of us are brought up in an environment where, most of us in the Western world are not brought up in an environment where we're pushed to to examine those things. It's largely about experience. 
you do things for the experience and you you we seek by and large we seek a life of experience that is rewarding whether that's entertainment or competition or financial or material it's a very western way of approaching life and what's gotten lost in that is what is our real nature and our nature will just go berserk on that way of living it's easy to become selfish it's easy to become prideful it's easy to become distrusting it's easy to become deceitful yeah. uh, with ourselves with others um though those that is our nature and when you start talking to someone about their true self what is human nature and then you say okay we are naturally like this what do we revere and promote what do we value we value everything that are not like our human nature we value selflessness kindness trustworthiness patience we value those things because they're rare they're rare because they're not our nature and that's why we follow virtues but a lot of the things that we promote largely in a western culture is individualism materialism um leisure success um and I think that's why we have a lot of people who are anxious and are um, discontent. And when you have an opportunity to work with someone, you can take both science, performance, connect those two things, and start looking at, look, when you, when you double down on your nature, when you're doing things for recognition or pride or celebrity or here's another practical example you've got brain and behavior and that is let's look at somebody like tiger woods mm-hmm. and, and, and matter of fact i mean this isn't this is without exaggeration stanford education anywhere in the world that's recognized as COVID. yeah forecast um multi-millionaire, maybe billionaire, I'm not sure. One of the world's best golf swings. Um, married to married to a literal Swedish swimsuit bikini model. And what did he do? Satisfied? Mm. No. But all of the points you made, right, about our nature, selfishness, yeah. deceit, distrust, all those things, right? Yes. And so not satisfied um made a mess of his life and his career has since redeemed some of that but that's a great example of look the things that the world will tell you are what you need to go after are going to leave you dissatisfied and empty maybe a lot of achievements according to the world but 
purpose and meaning, empty, empty. So the natural man, the, the approach, you have to temper with, okay, why do you really want this? What are you doing this for? Um, you know, I, I had the, I've had the good fortune to work with some, not only phenomenal academics, but you know, I spent, uh, I spent a year with the Golden State Warriors and that was an incredible year, I'd imagine, Chris. There's some, it, it was, I, I mean, my iconic team, yeah. from an experience perspective and learning, uh, being in an environment with an elite coach. I mean, Steve Fur is an elite coach because he understands people. He knows the X's and O's, and I think there's some genius in some of the the, the offensive sets that he would introduce to that team that that accelerated their success. But he knows people, and um, you know, interestingly, he and I probably politically uh, 180 out from each other. But there were some common denominators in terms of what made people tick and how to connect with people. And, um, you know, he would say things to the guys like, look, this is supposed to be hard. This is supposed to be really hard. Mm. So don't, don't misinterpret the struggle as some indicator that you're doing something wrong. The struggle and the failure is because this is how it's supposed to be. So there were things like that. And he would, um, he had a unique gift for speaking truth directly to people, hard truths, and at the same time putting an arm around them saying, I, I love you. You're, you're yeah. a, a crucial part of this team. This is what I need from you right now. And it might not be what you want, but this is what I need. He was great at that. Um, so I, I remember when we would, um, we would look at, you know, individual performance and there was always a question about, okay, what's going on with the person? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. beyond the performance, right? The, you know, kind of Scott Robertson, the, the All Blacks head coach, Crusaders as well, former Crusaders, he's, he's like that. He's got that. We look at the person first and, you know, the performances. You got to see it ahead of time. If you see someone has two kids and kind of, you know, shows up training every time, you, you, you can't need that. But you got you to approach the person, see how they are, see how they're doing. And, um, and then I mean, those things, yeah. things should be a, a factor. They don't always need to be a drain or a distraction. I think natural man will take those things and say, oh, you know, those things are all distractions. Well, maybe they also might be the meaning for why you're doing what you're doing. If you step back from it. And so if, you, if you're chasing success and elite performance just for the sake of your own ego, you're going to be left lonely and uh, anxious and discontent. Uh, Steve Kerr used to talk about um, Greg Popovich and some of the things he learned from him. And he said one of the things was that Popovich wanted a team of guys who are sick of themselves and who are over themselves. Who are, who are, they're over. They're over themselves. They're oh, yeah, yeah. They're all, yeah. you know, making everything about them. And that's very related to uh, a faith-based concept for me of meekness and 
a lot of people misinterpret the word meekness as weakness, and it's it's not at all. It's meekness is having a very um, a very low opinion of yourself, but a very high opinion of who made you or why you're here. Which, when that can get resolved, that's the beginning of learning and being self and. Uh, not the different. Yeah, yeah. Humility is, I can see humility being yes, humble and humility. This is a question, right? And I can't, I, I definitely circle back to Steve Curran and Golden State Warriors. What a, what a high performance environment, or, you know, just I can imagine what you, you know, what that was like for you to experience it. But what happens when, you know, the, the components of who you understand, who you are, why you do it, purpose, you know, what about if you're, if you're, if you're Look and bring yourself to understand more about who you are, and you don't like yourself. Are you, are you, you know, that that human nature of selfishness, distrust, to see you see more of that becomes more apparent. Yeah. Then you, you know, start to struggle. Yeah, um, and certainly, all of this exists on a continuum. Some people are at different points along their development. Some people never get there. Some people um, are locked in. I would say somebody like, like Steph. Um, well, the time that I got to spend with them, it was at a very different development level than some of the other players, not just because of his performance, which is interesting because if you look back at his career, he was not always the top of the recruitment list. He, I mean, you know, he, he went to a good D1 school, was not a five-star recruit, um, and and had to develop and then coming into the nba i don't think he was expected to be what he is now yeah and, um you know steph's at least the time that i spent with him his 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 life verse his scripture verse was philippians 4 13 i can do all things through christ mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. It's that that in a nutshell is what I'm talking about is getting to the place where you're humble enough to say, you know what, I've had I've failed. Um, I am inherently broken, but when I understand why I'm here and who made me, that that enables you to go into the highest level of competition and say, okay. I can't do this, but use me. I'm willing to do what you, your will, not mine, your will, use me. So somebody like him who has that wealth developed sense versus another athlete who's still maybe trying to, maybe they're concerned about the next contract. Maybe they're concerned about playing time. Maybe they're concerned about their role on the team and there is a, you know, to, to reference Popovich's statement again, we, I, I want a team of guys who are, who are done with themselves. Um, again, this is another faith-based concept of dying to self, dying to who you are. Um, you must decrease for him to increase. And that is the, that's the living example of that humility. And so, when those things start to develop, it's a painful place. 
Look, most people who are into competition and performance improvement, um, there is an innate side that comes with achieving. Yeah, that is nature. The identity gets wrapped up with that as well, Chris, right? It's like, if I don't win this, I don't achieve this, then I'm not good enough and I'm my low self-sport and my... Absolutely. That's such a bad, you know, that's such a harmful place to be, right? Well, and how, how do you approach failure if that's what you're thinking? I Going back to Steph, somebody like Steph is not afraid to miss versus a guy who's shooting that is afraid. If I miss this, they might, they might sit me down yeah. versus the guy who who launches the shot from half court. If I miss, I miss. Like approaching Michael Gervais, you know, like he, he references this quite a lot in his work. It's like approaching success rather than running from failure, you know? Yeah. Yes. And that's where, that's where I think going back to what I mentioned about being just relentlessly accurate in your examination of yourself and your limits and recognizing them should should result in making me less afraid of failure. Yeah. And then okay, how do you like become brave enough to accept your limitations? Mm-hmm. No, we are. Yeah. yeah. I think by and again this is so contrary to the life in the in the Western world. To be really honest about all the ways that you have failed, not dwelling on them, but being honest about the difference between how you present yourself to the world and at how you nearly are. That's interesting, right? Yeah. You're how you um, the mask you put on. Well, I mean, social media has uh, solidified that as a a reflex in us look look how we i mean show show me the social media profile of somebody's failures and then you know, uh when they're just getting out of bed or even when they've lost their temper or um no it's it's uh, it is a carefully crafted uh picture of what they think the rest of the world will respect and review and it's not it's not accurate yeah no I, I like there's a lot in what you're saying right even for me I'm, I'm starting to make sense of my own world I'm playing with, I'm, I'm approaching I'm 35 in a few days so I'm in my la- I, this is what I call my last year of competing in sport yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, so I'm not playing at the competed elite level anymore I'm playing at the club level just to level below um, with my team and um, watching my last year, but I'm, I'm, I'm I don't know my playing for my why is my why strong enough, you know. I think I'm it's my eight, I'm going into my 18th season with this team, so 18 years. So, yeah. long, two, two young kids, I have my own work that I do, I'm traveling a lot with that, and uh, it's still there though. And I'm just trying to get a sense of why am I still there. And I know that last year we had a bad season last year, right? So, Chris, context we had a very bad season last year, we got relegated. I was team captain. So is it the wrong reason for me to be there now to write that wrong? Do you know, is it, is it, uh, I feel like I, I owe, I owe the club something. Yeah. I've all that kind of stuff going on. I, you know? Bigger, it's, it, and you're, you're transitioning to this 
endeavor being bigger than you. Yeah, that resonated strongly with me, you know? And you know, that's the thing. I think last year was about us, but it shouldn't be. It's about. It's always about the jersey, leaving it in a better place, and those that have gone before you, you know. And those that will, those that will come after. Yeah, and we don't. You know, we don't. We all naturally get that. With, unless there are other people revealing these things, I don't think we can make someone get there because our nature is not that. Um, our our nature, we have to challenge each other to be different than our nature. Mm, be disciplined. Yes. Or yes. the ground. Yes. You know, so one, one uh, sort of instructional example is the difference between pleasure and happiness. The things that bring us pleasure tend to leave us unhappy. And the things that make us happy are not pleasurable. <laughs> That's actually a very good insight. That's really good. You take, uh, take some examples of diet and working out. A really healthy diet is not pleasurable. <laughs> yep. But it, it will make you feel better. Um, conversely, hey, you know, junk food. Um, it's good. Feels good. It's very good. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't lead to that sense of, of confidence and strength and peace of mind. And um, same with same with working out. Same with same with relationships. Mm-hmm. You know the. People in your life who are fun all the time might um, be lacking in some way of developing meaning. Meaning, and conversely, somebody that's more—it's not always smooth. There's difficulties when you stick to those and work through them. I mean, how many people are you really good friends with that you've never had a fight with? One of those type of type of- yeah. yeah, yeah. So what, just Golden State Warriors, Chris, did you, what was the context of that year you spent with them? Is that as a learning experience or and what were you doing when you were there? So interestingly, so I was working with the SEALs in San Diego. Um, I met Steve. Uh, he lives in San Diego. He was interested in what I did and both from the assessment and selection side, but also from the people development side. Also some sensory motor training, visual perception, speed timing, things like that. Yeah. Um, wanted me to work with a couple of the players and then um, be a resource for him, for the coaching staff. And it was interesting because people forget now they've had so much success. There were questions about Steve coming into that job because the team was somewhat successful. They had a great roster. Um, they'd won to the playoffs a few years, come up short. And Steve had never coached at Inwell. And there were questions about that. Maybe people have forgotten about it. Steve probably hasn't, but um, there were some doubts. Yeah. <laughs> I I didn't have any doubts in after talking with him. Um, and he wanted me to come on board and um, in a role that would, you know, spend time with the staff and the team practice, travel with the team, um, and be in the locker room before and after games. And so I got to do that. It was his first year, and 
it was, you know, it was, it was fantastic. Um, and, you know, they won a first championship within uh, four years. Congratulations, Chris, for being a part of that, 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 that yeah. championship winning team, because obviously you seem to be, you know, a core part of the team. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was both humbling. It was, uh, exciting. Yeah, it was, it was fun. It was frustrating. Um, all of the things that you would want out of an experience like that. And to, to tie this into what we've been talking about, I like to think that I left some of the people that I had, uh, touches with, I left them better than when I got there. Yeah. And that's your purpose. Yeah, you know, ultimately. So, 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 Chris, right now, so S two cognition. Tell us about is that is that your core focus now and what you're doing? Yeah. So, um, right now, uh, I'll talk a little bit about what I do with S two and then um, what I'm what I'm doing next. Um, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. So, my role with S two cognition really started when I was working in baseball. So, I worked for the Pittsburgh Pirates for six years. Um, in a, at a role that was part scouting, part analytics, part player evaluation. And so because of my time with the Navy, I had seen a lot of different ways of measuring human cognition, processing speed, visual scanning, decision-making at different press time. Mm. And I knew there was a lot of junk out there. It's a very difficult thing to do, to measure. And um, so S2 was just starting and they came to the pirates and said, hey, we've got this tool. We can assess information processing speed. And would you be interested? And I I said, my conversation, I'm going to paraphrase it with the, with the owners was, I've seen a lot of different stuff. And I've seen demo data, and that's usually where this goes wrong. So I don't want to see demo data. I don't want to see any reports. I'd like to see some of your trial by trial data showing me an athlete and what what sort of response times, uh, reaction time, what's the fidelity of that, what are your screen refresh rates. Um, I don't want to know more about what equipment you're using because you're talking about millisecond resolution. You can't use an iPad for this. Um, and they unpacked everything they had, and I couldn't have been more excited because I said, look, we've been, the, the sports world has needed something like this for a long time. And so with the Pirates, I started using the S2 battery on draft prospects. So the S2 battery is measuring things like visual processing speed, trajectory estimation, so how well can see nonlinear movement and anticipate nonlinear movement, mm-hmm. um, distraction control, um, instinctive learning, um, timing control. So somewhat related to some of the yeah. factors. I heard it's a major that, Chris. It's such a broad question, no asking how, right? But maybe not. Maybe you don't need to get into the depths and detail on it. But I mean, how the hell does, does that happen? Like, where you can get that data from yeah. that? Yeah. And so, I mean, 
you know, it was interesting. I got the job with the Pirates because in part of the work that I was doing with the Navy and, you know, baseball was interested in what I was doing. And I said, yeah, you know, when one of these operators goes into a house, he's got about 300 milliseconds to orient to a target, mm. make a shoot, don't shoot decision. And the baseball world says, yeah, 300 milliseconds. That's about a 94 mile an hour fastball. That's how much time you got to make a, a strike recognition, swing, belt swing decision. And so there's some, there's some commonality in the brain mechanisms that are functioning under those. Yeah. So long story short, we partner with S2 to assess players in the draft. And part of my role was to go out into the field and sit with scouts. And probably my favorite thing to do was to watch college players or high school players with veteran scouts. And it's sort of, it's the science of expertise and cognitive neuroscience meeting right there. And we would break players down together. And Time and again, we were starting to come back to, wow, we're seeing the same thing. I'm seeing the same thing in the in the cognitive battery that this scout was seeing, both in terms of capabilities and limitations. Um, and they, the scout, the scouts could not have been more receptive. I think they intuitively understood, mm. yeah, we miss a lot on guys that we think are going to be hits because of how they're performing at the college level in reality we never get a chance to see what that brain is capable of doing so you can have somebody who's a phenomenal athlete gifted physically and performing well at the elite college level but then when the demands of major league pitching complexity come to them they just they don't pan out. Why? They don't make the jump pitch. Yeah, and so S two answers some of that. Um, football quarterbacks the same way. I I wasn't as involved with the NFL work, but um, I've been to the combine. I know what S two is doing with that, and the, and specifically quarterbacks. How quickly can a quarterback read, anticipate, remember, dynamic? defenses defenses that are disguising themselves that's pattern recognition that's um visual response turn perception speed and if you can find out how somebody what they're capable of before you spend 10 billion dollars on there's that yeah yeah it seems like a highly valuable system that you have for uh for professional sport but beyond that as well anything high pressure high stress competition competitive environments yeah, you know you got you got something cool there. And yeah. what's next, Chris? Where you go? Where where where's next? So um, I uh, later on this spring, I'm taking a full time position in North Carolina with U.S. Army Special Operations Command with their uh, special special forces training group. So I'm headed out to North Carolina. And, Congratulations, yeah. Chris! Let's go. I, I'm yeah, but delighted for you. It's like full circle, right? But you're coming back. Yeah, so much yeah. power. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. And you moving out? Are you moving out for that, Chris? Just move over. We'll probably be moving in May. Um, and I mean, U.S. Army Special Operations has such a long legacy of 
measuring, assessing, training, teaching, special operations forces. Um, it's, it's humbling for me to get to be a part of that. I'm, I'm, um, I'm thankful for the opportunity. They've got a great group of people there that have been doing that for a long time. And, uh, they'll welcome me into that. That's little circle, uh, um, of people doing that work. And so, uh, I, I think we'll be an excellent goal. No, I'm no doubt that. But it's unconscious of the time right now, right? So is there anything else you'd like to share with our with the listeners tuning in and, and any, any last message for, for people to take away? I guess I can't, I, I, I can't really, um, overemphasize how important it is for people to understand where they come from, why they're here and where they're going. And the worldview that helps you develop answers to those questions is going to be the most rewarding. And, and a lot of it involves um, you developing characteristics that are contrary to your nature. And to understand that your nature is human nature. That's right. And it's and, not just your nature, it's everyone's nature. And even to be more lenient and compassionate towards other people that maybe have selfish, have been selfish at times, maybe been deceitful towards you at times that have yeah. broken your trust. I think it probably just to be more aware, actually that's not, you know, that's something that we all have and they just struggle at that moment in time or whatever, you know? And and I, so that's exactly right. That, that is exactly right. And I would take that a step further and say, where do you think your sense of that comes from? What Where does your sense of, understanding that kindness is good, that patience is good, that courage is good, that our selflessness is good. Where does that come from? And people that come up with a lot of different answers to that question, um, but it's examining it and being, being ruthless with who you really are and being accurate, not, not beating yourself up, but understanding that you're broken, you are limited. But when you acknowledge or accept that, then you can become willing to fail and, and do just about anything um, that is outside your will. So the will of the the author of the universe, it's a big place out there. We're here for a reason. I think that's amazing. I think it's the perfect, perfect um, spot to end on, right? And I just want to say, Crystal, it was such a great conversation and you know, your humility, your leadership, your presence. You know, for me, I mean, I'm a hell of a lot more content coming out of the conversation than I was coming in. And I think down to what you said, but also how you, your character, you know, and I think uh, that that's something that, you know, I think we're all aspiring to is to have that impact by just being yourself, you know. Well, I appreciate that. I think you having said that, one thing that I would um, say that we didn't talk about, and that is, I've got a long failure resume and I don't know that, I, you know, when I was 20 or 25, I wouldn't have been in a spot to want to share that with you. I, I, I can share that and there's value in developing something like that. We get so dropped into presenting ourselves to employers or, or you know, pa panels. Um, there's value in working through a failure resume. Um, and it's not discounting what you have achieved, but it's recognizing that you've achieved those things despite your limitations. Yeah. 
and your failures, your failures have, have been failures and you've not done, you know, you maybe tried your best, but you didn't do your best and yeah. you came up short. Mm-hmm. You, you got you to gotta accept that and look at why and mm-hmm. accept limitations, but then accept where you were selfish, where you were undisciplined, where you weren't patient, where you took a shortcut, yeah. you know, and then, then you can go again and find that meaning and go with that meaning and then you see where you end up, you know. So, so Chris, listen. So, thanks so much. Is where where can people find you, Chris? If I find out more about you and learn more about follow your journey or just be part of you and your world, I would go to s2cognition.com and you can check out the battery. You can check out the scenes we work with, the uh, place like businesses that we work with. Um, there are white papers. There are uh, peer-reviewed papers. Um, there are opportunities to contact everybody who we're uh, working with. Um, contact anybody with the team. My contact info is there, but it's Chris at s2cognition.com. All right, guys, that was great. I, I really enjoyed that. And it's very, Chris is very inspiring, uh, very humble, very grounded, very honest, very real. When you bring all that together, that's that's inspiration. So I hope you t- I hope you enjoyed it. You know whatever insight that you did take on board, or whatever action or insight that you feel strongly connected to, please be consistent with it. Take it on and do it. It'll lead to a massive impact in your life. And if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a review. It all helps. It helps us grow. It helps us reach more listeners like you. Feel free to share it. You can find more on on, on our website with the show notes and much more. So look coming up. On the next episode we have, we've got a couple of couple of um couple of Irish people coming on board. Actually, one the great um Jerry Hussey. So I'm so excited to talk with Jerry. He released he released a fantastic book recently, and um he's such you know he's got such rich rich experience and a man of good character. And um yeah, so that's going to be the next episode we release. And then you know two weeks time, keep keeping the loop. And look until then, have a good have a good one. All the best.